Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch, where we dive deep into the area of health and wellness. And we're going to cover today and over the next few episodes what I call the seven S's for taking control of your health. And my next guest is going to talk about all these seven S's is to do with our survival. And as we all know, the last two years, we've all been placed into this mode of survival, survival, we're under threat, survival. So what does it mean to survive? And more importantly, what does it mean to thrive? What are these seven S's that we can control that can help us take control of our energy levels, our stress levels, our relationships. And as we come out of this pandemic, and it looks like that the pandemic is over, it's time for us to reset and get out of this mode where we outsource our health and our wellness you know, to the health establishment. They served us well during the pandemic, and I don't want to roll my eyes. But, <laughs> uh, but ultimately, the control of your health comes back to you. Now, everyone that's uh, familiar with a higher branch, our framework is the eight areas of life, and that is the what you need to focus on. Number one is your health. Second is your relationship, your intimate relationships. Third, your family. Fourth, your work. Fifth, your friendships. Sixth, your learning seventh your wealth and lastly your charity now each one of these eight areas fill a fundamental human need health for energy love for intimacy family for unconditional love work for fulfillment learning for growth friendship for belonging which is super important wealth for freedom and lastly charity for contribution the contribution we are making in society it is my thesis and certainly all the guests that we've had on this podcast in 2020, 2021, and now going forward in 2022 is centered around that framework and the importance of making sure that we do not ignore one of these fundamental human needs. Because in my corporate world that I've grown up in, people have always neglected one or more of those areas of life. They will focus on their work and their wealth. And by the time they climb the corporate ladder, achieve a certain status, make certain amounts of money, they realize that the rest of their life is dysfunctional. I call that effed up success. You know, when you have money in the bank and a great title, but you've got broken relationships, poor health. So I wanted to kick off the year by focusing on the tree of health using the analogy in my book, A Higher Branch. I talk about the trees of life and one of them is the tree of health and the need for energy. Without energy, all the other areas of life suffer. So these seven next episodes will be on the seven S's. So my next guest is going to be on that journey with us through the seven S's. And it's on that note that I want to introduce Dr. Scott Wustenberg to a higher branch. Welcome, Scott. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So you're the principal practitioner for Advanced Rehab, which is based in Brisbane. Absolutely. Now, I discovered you a few months ago through a few colleagues who suggested I was in the too hard basket for uh, chiropractic, nutritional. And they said, look, your pattern of pain is just too difficult. We don't know what's wrong with you. Go see Scott. And during that period, we got to know each other. We've done things from DNA testing. We've done microbiome testing. And really, for me, it was an eye-opener because I've always thought that the ultimate purpose in life is to know thyself. And when it comes to health, 
knowing thyself takes data, it takes accuracy. And I really love your approach. But before we talk about what that approach is, I just want to give people a little bit of information on who Dr. Scott is. You're a teacher in nutrition and chiropractic neurology, and you hold a master's in nutrition medicine. Yes. And my experience from you is that you're not the average chiropractic practitioner practicing in a range of techniques, but you practice in neuro rehabilitation, sacro-occipital technique, soft tissue orthopedics, diversified technique, biomechanics and cranial therapy, to name just a few, because I know you're so much more than that. And that's why when we go through these seven S's, it's going to become apparent to all our listeners. And this is going to be an eye opener and an ear opener for a lot of people listening. So if you're listening now, you're going to hear a lot of stuff that you haven't heard before. And this is all cutting edge stuff. You also use orthomolecular medicine to treat holistically, which is quite interesting. Now, I don't mind sharing some of my journey as we go through these podcasts, but perhaps we should tell people then what we're going to cover over the next seven podcasts. And today will be the first on sustenance. So the seven S's are sustenance, starvation, as in fasting, (laughs) sleep, strength as an exercise, sunshine, socializing, and stress. I believe it is these seven things that we need to manage and take control of to feel that sense of empowerment that we are in control of our immune system, our happiness, our energy levels, all the things that make us tick. And by the end of this series, I want everyone listening to feel completely empowered about their health. And you're gonna have the tools and techniques and the contacts and the networks to be able to know thyself through various testing, either through Scott's Clinic, which is based in Brisbane, or whoever you like to work with. But at least after you listen to this series and learn from what Scott has to share with us, you'll know the questions to ask if you do choose to work with a health practitioner. You're gonna know the BS right from the uh, (laughs) entirely yeah from the truth so my hope would also be that they would not only want to know themselves but to make the best version of themselves so each day get up and be better than the one before and keep creating and keep growing growing knowing thyself and sitting still doesn't help absolutely you need to take action it's all about that control 30 years ago it was all about having information and people with information were powerful. Yes. Now, it's the overload of information. Oh, and people gosh. are completely confused. Do I go vegan? Do I go paleo? When do I go to sleep? What's my chronotype? How do I fast? There's just an overload of information and so many experts who underneath it all, all trying to sell you either a supplement or a program. Yep. So people are cynical. And coming out of this pandemic, people want some clarity. That's what I'm hoping that we will give them. Me too. Clarity. But I, I love what you said there because it's not just about having the clarity. It's also we're going to share the things that you can do to actually take action use Um, the clarity that's it let's use the clarity so on that point today we're going to cover sustenance it's nutrition right that's what we're talking about and it's things that we take into our body so we take in food air water Water. now we also take in sunshine yes but we're going to talk about sunshine on a separate episode because that deserves its own some people i've followed and studied under would say that sustenance is also that connection, that socializing and love. Love is a vitamin. Yes. Without it, human beings don't grow. So again, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk later about on. socializing yeah. as well as one of the essence. as a separate. But yep. sustenance is its diet. It's the input of resources to help us be the better version of ourselves. It's not just, oh, is this pill the right one for me? Is this food, this diet, the right one? I think people get bogged down 
in all the guru statuses out there. And that's a yeah. real problem at this moment that, you know, there's the paleo people, there's the vegan brigade, there's the carnivore diet now. And yes. so at some point, someone has to be wrong. They can't all be right, although they can all be right for a short period of time. And so I have a very simple statement that everyone is an obligate omnivore. We are designed to eat almost everything that we come across and there's no real bad. Yes. And there are caveats to that. And some of the caveats are we're meant to eat as close to nature as possible. So it's got to be as clean as possible with as few man-made chemicals going into it, preservatives, colorings, herbicides, pesticides. We want to get rid of as much of that as possible because it's all input that the body has to get rid of. Right. So right. if you throw something in that the body has to get rid of, you then take energy and resources to clear that from the system, which takes away from our growth edict of being the better version. It, it's a scale, you know. We're trying to always keep this happy median somewhere in the middle, not too far down in any direction. But further along that dietary construct, we eat protein for us. Our body is largely made of different proteins and minerals, okay? And we eat vegetables to largely feed our biome. And our biome is separate and distinct to us. And if you don't love and nourish and respect your biome, it will hit you with a big stick. So the biome being the gut. Bacteria. Yep. So the, it is. the bacteria. Yep. It, yep. It, one of my favorite thoughts about it, as I, I read some years ago, is this idea that you are a car. Or you could call yourself a spaceship if we want to be a bit more new age about it. And you are the vehicle that your bacteria drives around in. And that they outnumber you by a large majority and when you feed them poorly you feed them too many preservatives and processed foods and sugars they release chemicals driving you towards those things called endotoxins and they will change your personality and they will give you foggy thinking and they will give you addictive behavior none of this is you this is what your bacteria are doing to you so what we feed them and the different you know probiotics versus bacteria and there's a difference there probiotics are symbiotic and they help nourish you they help break down the food and they give you vitamins and minerals and energy as part of that biological process so they love you if you love them yep but yep. you have to eat to feed them and so the benefit of doing a, a biome test is to figure out which bacteria are there, which ones shouldn't be there, and are you eating to support them very effectively, rather than just going, well, the guru says this diet is the best one at this moment, whether it's a vegan diet or a vegetarian or uh, the Episcopalian diet, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yep. There's a difference between you and the bacteria, and you have to eat for both. And okay. I, I think it's strongly glossed over at this moment in time. So the protein is for us? Yes and the vegetables. You don't have any enzymes to break down the cellulose. So yeah. when you're eating that cabbage, it's not you that's digesting it. So we eat these things. It's the bacteria. It's the bacteria. They're the only things that have the enzymes that break down most of that, that fibrousness. So we use it as a broom, so it will kind of flush things through, but the real digestion of those vegetable fibers is done by your bacteria for you. So, we, so are you saying then as a base, as a minimum, Everyone should be consuming vegetables. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As we've mentioned before, vegetables have a whole bunch of chemicals in it that is designed to poison things, right? So in, in nature and traditionally... So oxalates... Oxalates, phytates, lectins. lectins yep. These things are there to poison insects and things with a nervous system, which insects do, yeah. to stop the plant getting marauded by those creatures. Now, we're equally 
in the line of fire. We have a nervous system and those chemicals are there to stress us. And, you know, there's some really clever uh, reproductive cycles to this stuff. You eat the unripe food because, of course, when we get to starvation, we'll talk a bit more about this, but you're starving. There's no food available and you've found an unripe tomato and it's full of nasty things, but you gorge yourself because it's the only energy thing you've found. And then you travel off for another 20, 30 minutes down the road and those chemicals start getting broken down and they irritate the nervous system and the gut lining and you go, oh my goodness, this hurts. And you start getting diarrhea. Yep. Now the acid in your stomach cracked open the seeds and it helps germinate it. And the diarrhea, of course, and your 20 minutes walk down the path from where that plant was, you are part of the reproductive cycle. You are helping give the seed a germinating quality and manure, and you've spread the seed far and wide. Isn't that good of you? Yes. But, but that is... <laughs> I'm planting more tomatoes. You, you are planting more tomatoes. <laughs> it's a great one. But the chemicals in it are designed to be there, and they're designed to irritate you. So there is no bad. These chemicals and these foods that lots of the educated guru people out there are saying, these things are bad. There's no bad. There is just, can you tolerate it at that moment in time? How's your state of integration and resources? Will you repair quicker than the damage that they do? And if you won't, then you shouldn't be eating them at this moment. And we focus on integrating. Right, right. But if you do have the resources, well, look, I had a few minutes of discomfort. Yeah, my bowel wasn't great for a few minutes. So what? No big deal. deal. And, you know, in previous times when we didn't have toilets, that would have been part of the spread of these plants around the planet. Okay, are there some foods then we shouldn't be eating? Kale. (laughs) I know we joke about that offline, but like tell us about gluten or wheat or bread, which is all the rage at the moment, it's gluten-free. I also want to talk about how your recommendation that we all should eat vegetables reconciles mm-hmm. with the keto diet yes. as well. But apart from the chemical nasties that you mentioned and yes. that we should eat as close to nature as possible, yes, can we eat bread, pasta, cakes? Well, you the- can. Yes. Do I recommend it to most people? No. So human beings do not have DPP-4 enzymes. Right. Right. So this particular enzyme helps break down double proline bonds, which gluten and casein and dairy products have. Right. Right. So they are big, strong, flopsy amino acid bonds that you can't break down. And these components in foods like gluten is found in the grass family and it has an opioid effect. And so it is highly addictive and it is in the wrong body very capable of causing damage to the gut lining and autoimmune conditions. And this strongly shows up in Celtic family extractions that have a particular gene sequence called HLA-DQ2, 2.58, etc. But there's also uh, another gene called an EMSY gene. And some people have this, and it means they are allergic genetically to the grass family. So rye grass, barley grass, wheat grass, spelt, they're all grasses. So if you have a genetic predisposition to the EMSY, you're not going to do well with other proteins that are in the grass family. So if we think about Australia, for instance, again, traditionally, we are the end point for a lot of Great Britain's scallywags. They're Celts that were starving, that were criminals, etc. So we had our seeding stock of 
Scots, Irish, Welsh, etc. The people that the, uh, the rulers over there didn't want. And then we had perhaps the white Australia policy and we had a lot more of those 10 pound poms coming in, so to speak. And our forebears for the last couple of hundred years are very strongly associated with those genetic codes. Now, genes are inert. They are as inert as this bottle of water, right? That bottle of water will only be useful if I act upon it. So the gene does nothing until it's acted upon by a stimuli, a stressor. So for some people with that gene, whether it's the HLA-DQ for autoimmune disease, it's not active. Yes. And then it gets triggered by stressors. You know, someone dies in the family or a sickness, etc. And then suddenly it blows up. Like I could originally eat anything. And then I got pleurisy and treatment in hospital. And after the treatment in hospital, I had six months of bleeding of the bowel. And I've never been able to tolerate gluten. And I happen to have, as it turns out, these celiac gene codes. And they were activated because of that. Right. right so okay. yep, yep. I don't think anyone really greatly benefits from gluten or dairy products past a certain point in their life. The greatest benefit and the reason why the grass families became so popular is they fatten things. Now, the reason the Egyptian army did so very well is that Egypt grew the best wheat and had the most nourishment and the most energy. Now, in traditional societies and Paleolithic man, societies that could energize their troops, energize their people, did better at marauding other civilizations and taking <laughs> their assets and taking their land, etc., and dominating. Now, the average us, unfortunately, doesn't do the same degree. We didn't do a 40-mile march and then went into six hours of battle, murdering and pillaging, etc., Yep, yep. You know, we stared at a computer screen and tapped some buttons. So we don't need the volume of energy going in that we're being told that we do, especially if you give consideration to the amount of diseases that are going on. So while I'm not going to say that everyone should avoid gluten and dairy products, I would suggest that most people should double check. Most people probably don't need the volume of energy that's available in those foods with the amount of availability that doesn't make them any less yummy as i said they're opiates so they have a highly addictive yep. capacity and our brains go oh i want some of that i want some of that and so of course we've also got this industrial farming complex and cafes and restaurants and everyone else that's based around profiting off the development of wheat yes so there's a lot of other reasons we eat it but you know I don't recommend it for everyone, but I also wouldn't say blanket ruling, no one should have this thing. It always comes down to, if you're tolerant of it, it's probably okay, but eat less than you're being recommended to. And if you're not tolerant and you have an EMSY gene or you have an HLA-DQ or you have an IgG intolerance to it, then you're better off avoiding it because it's not necessary for your health and well-being. Yep. Regardless yep. of the fact that our society sells a lot of it, so our food and agricultural departments say in the pyramid that it should be the basis of everyone's diet. Now, again, we have a lot of industry in this country that profit off people becoming unwell. If you eat enough grain yeah. yep. and enough Spot sugars, on. you will probably in 50 years or so develop diabetes. Well, that benefits a bunch of people who have pharmaceutical companies and surgeries and dietitians. Like, everyone gets happier. Including the supplement industry. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I read recently <laughs> that they're now bigger than Big Pharma. 
right? The, the, the I'm not convinced by that one. <laughs> it's just that Big Pharma is buying into the supplements. Supplement industry. So yeah. I, the Big Pharma is in the trillions. Supplements are in the billions still. We haven't cracked it at that same level, unfortunately. If you yeah. just think about the pharmaceutical industry and health in Australia, for instance, hospitals, GP practices, chemists, they're, they're all part of that industry. That's an enormous industry. Yep. Supplements are small fry comparatively. Okay. And again, yep. supplements, which we'll get to, are an essential for us, depending on what your state of health and well-being and how integrated you are. For some people, necessary. Yep. For some people, maybe not. But the one thing that is necessary is a good clean diet that actually has us eating as close to nature as possible. We need to be avoiding highly processed foods. Seed oils are not your friend. So sunflower oil? Sunflower canola. oil, cottonseed oil, canola oil. Canola oil is banned in Europe. It's absolutely diabolical. Canola. Canola, yeah. They don't use it. We grow lots of it and sell it. If we didn't grow it, would we be so quick to recommend it? Now, again, the human body requires a balance between your omega-3 to omega-6. And traditionally, they look at us being one-to-one, two-to-one. Currently, the Western diet somewhere between 18 omega-6 to 1 omega-3 to 30 to 1. And it's highly oxidizing and it's highly inflammatory and it's strongly associated with heart disease. Just to go off a little bit of a tangent, because we are going to talk about supplements in the context of all the seven S's. Yes. But does that mean everyone should be taking omega-3 supplements like fish oil, krill oil? Not necessarily. I mean, if your diet is very strongly seafood-based, trout-based, river food-based, shellfish, etc., you eat very much more wild food, game meats, etc., more appropriately, holistically grown biodynamic vegetables, you are probably going to get more omega-3 from that food. But the average person who's living in an urban environment is probably not doing that, unfortunately. So they should supplement. They should probably supplement. supplement. Now, the good news is we have tests. We can run a blood test to look at their omega-3-6 ratio and we can make a determination, do they need it? Because again, while I love supplements, I think they're really useful tools. If you don't need it, I don't want you having it. I don't want you going, well, it could be useful. So I'll just take it because, you know, Sam and Scott said omega-3 is good for people. Well, yeah, but it's an unnecessary resource. Let's focus on the things that you do need that you can't get from your diet. And it might be omega-3. But I don't go for this idea of everyone should do exactly the same thing. If they're eating yep. zero seafood and they are not eating an unprocessed diet, it's probably the right thing to and do. And if they're eating too much seed food, oils, yeah. Food fried and seed oils. Yeah, or, absolutely. Yeah. But there's no great blanket statement to any supplement. Yep. No, that's fair. Fair comment. And anyone that tells you otherwise is, again, trying to sell, sell you something. Sell you something. <laughs> right. So it's a refreshing uh, approach. So really the message that I'm getting from you is that we've got to eat in accordance with our genotype. That would be a lovely idea. I love it. And there's two ways of doing that. One is to be so self-aware of how you feel after you eat every single ingredient. Mm. <laughs> and it's difficult these days because we can have a meal with like 15 ingredients in it. And, and then we don't know what was it. Yeah, what was causing energy, what was causing the inflammation. So self-awareness is certainly how my grandmother, say, grew up and taught me. Like she would say things like, don't eat cucumber first thing in the morning, right? Because she knew it would give me diarrhea yep. first thing in the morning. But it was okay with 
a salad with olive oil, right? So they had this self-awareness. They knew instinctively what worked and what didn't and when to eat, what to eat, how to eat, and eating seasonal. Now, we're so far removed from that. Nobody has a time. Everyone listening at the moment is thinking, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't time. have the time. So we are now at the crossroads where, you know, biotech is converging on infotech. We can test these things, yes, which we is can. what we did, right? Yep. So I tested my genes and I found out that I shouldn't be eating anything to do with grasses. Correct. Right. So that would include wheat. Yep. Rye. Yep. Oats. Mm-hmm. Anything. Anything from the from grass, grass family. From the grass family. Spelt kamut. Yep. So not a lot of fun. <laughs> Certainly not by today's kind of much more modern standards. The one exception may be rice. Yep. It's a non-glutinous. Some people will argue that it will count as a grass grain. It's not in the same family, though. So from the DNA of what we tested, we can't say that rice does the same thing as the other grasses. So in that instance, remains to be seen how well it works with you versus... And if we find that it's still irritating and creating inflammation, then we'll take it out. So in your experience, in your clinical practice, then what percentage of people would you say express that gene of the grass? The grass allergy or the gluten? Probably about 70% of the people I see. Jeez. So it's really So seven out of 10 people listening now probably okay yeah so it's very strongly as i say associated with the the australian genetic background so then what should we be eating if not grains from the grass family then give me an example of what a plate should look like if you like (laughs) well for someone who's not into keto paleo vegan they're just you know omnivores like you said they're open yes so 50 to 60% of your plate should be raw vegetables, hopefully, or lightly cooked, lightly steamed. We need a lot more vegetables for our gut bacteria to keep them happy. And probably we need to let go of this idea that gas is a bad thing and that we should have absolutely washboard stomachs. If your gut bacteria are happy, they will nourish you, but you will be slightly more roundy because the processing of those things tends to create a bit more gas. Okay, so people see that as bloating and they yeah, see that as a bad thing, they but do. it's not. It's not. Not always. Not always. So so there's bloating caused because of damage to the gut lining and the villi yeah. and poor movement because of dysfunction. What's the villi? Sorry, Vill- sorry. the villi are the, the little finger-like projections on the lining of the gut epithelium, which is the skin, yep. so to speak, on the inside. And you have villi and then you have microvilli and that's where all the enzymes get released and where all the nourishment gets absorbed into the body. So if you eat things that are damaging inflammatory, like gluten, you actually ablate the microvilli and cause the the villi to clump together. So it's a big blob that you cannot get the nutrient into the base of, which is where the absorption portals are. So that's why people get quite malnourished from eating the wrong things. You can actually get malnourished. Yes, wow. by, okay. by eating things that damage your gut. And the most common one that we look for is actually gluten. It's actually well-known in medical circles, but it's not usually the first thing people look at. Yep. So I just want to go back a step then. The one empowering thing that I did was figure out what my genes have a propensity to, right? What, what my genes are, right? And then your approach to that was, well, you can switch them on or switch them off. Correct. Right. And that's the area of epigenetics. Yes. Right. So we are not really slaves to our genes. No. Yeah. Which is a new thing, right? Yes, yes it is. We were always told 85% of what happens to you is controlled by your genes. You've got no hope. 
Which right. it is, yeah. but it's not at the same time. And what we'd really now say is that 85% is the nurture and the environment because, as I said, there is a nurture that cup until your hand picks it up. So it's flipped the it, other it way is. around. It's the other it's 85% way. 85% within our control. Correct. It's how you think. It's how you nourish. It's how you move. It's the amount of sunshine. It's the amount of mindfulness. And it's the things that we're talking about that actually influence to turn on and off these things. If you stay in a permanent fight-flight cycle, yes. you are going to keep activating survival genes. Which is why stress is one of the seven S's we're going to talk about. So even though we're covering these as separate episodes, I want everyone to know that there's a symbiotic relationship between all of them. They intertwine. Yes, and that'll become apparent. So we are going to overlap as we talk about each and every one of them. What you said about 85% is within our control based on our environment. That's that's quite empowering. I mean, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel that, well, I can control well, you can. my energy. We can do things like a food intolerance test, like we're, we're waiting on results of for you. And that test will say, do I have an antibody against this food? Have I had leaking in the gut? So you have several different forms of, of antibody. IgE, which is immediate, early, true allergy response. You have... IgG, which is a much slower one, which is a memorized response. IgA is used by the gut to go, is this good for me? Is it not good for me? And it teaches what's called oral tolerance. Right. right. And so the, the relationship of how you make these things and how your body uses them determines whether a food is going to get punched in the face by your immune system or not. Now, there's a really cool paper that I came across that's looking at things like soda consumption and diet soda consumption as to how orally tolerant to something you are and how prone to having an inflammatory response in the gut lining. And so there's all sorts of different conflicting paper. And unfortunately, science is very much held hostage to who paid for the science and who's asking the question, unfortunately. And so you've got some pieces of science that say, well, there's no danger from having an artificially sweetened beverage. It's not going to cause weight gain. Others are saying it's definitely absolutely going to cause weight gain. Some will say that it's definitely not causing any problems. It's really inert and it's going to help a diabetic person kind of balance things out. Whereas others are saying that if you consume that artificially sweetened beverage in a moment of stress, you are much more likely to develop an allergy and something like Crohn's disease or or other autoimmune conditions. And it's correlated to the regularity and the volume and when. And further to that, Mm. it's also capable of if the mother has it, and this is done in rats, this particular thing, if the mother has the stress and the exposure to the chemicals, it will induce autoimmune inflammatory responses in the offspring. So this is kind of one of the reasons why that may not 100% translate to humans, right? Might not. Why take the chance? You don't have to drink an artificially sweetened soda, do you? Yeah, exactly. It's a choice. You are in control of that. And you can go, well, Scott might be wrong, but I don't need it. It's not actually going to really benefit me. So why would I bother? I could have water. And this comes back to this idea, as we spoke about right at at the top. The only thing you actually need as a weaned human is you need water for survival. You don't need wine or tea or coffee or any of the other fluids. You need water. 
and you need good quality water without all the additives. You don't need it with chlorine. You don't need it with fluoride. And I'm sure there are government municipalities out there who want to strangle me at this moment. But chlorine and fluoride are biotoxins against bacteria. They're put into the water as they're very cheap and very effective to kill hazards. Well, your gut is full of bacteria. It's not magic. It doesn't stop when it passes your lips. It keeps having a biocidal occurrence as soon as you swallow it. So the waters we consume, and people say, oh, but, but it's very low. And it, bacteria are very small and don't require a lot of a toxin to die. You know, your stress response, the amount of adrenaline and cortisol in your bloodstream leaking into your system will cause leaking of the gap junctions in the cells in your gut lining and it gets in and it murders your bacteria so everything can upset them we need to be very very mindful about how we love our bacteria and what we're taking in clean water is imperative try never to drink from plastic bottles if you can possibly help it okay so i want to go back and talk about fruit <laughs> okay in a second but yeah. water is a nutrient yeah water is an absolute so essential someone's listening now they're thinking well where do I get my water from then? Really, <laughs> you just kind of stand and hope and open your mouth, I suppose. As it rains. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we, we do have a rain tank, actually. Yes. We collect rainwater Good. And, uh, and filter it and, and all that. So what's the best filter out there? So I've heard spring water is the best thing for spring you. Spring water is great. I, I really like spring water. Again, but, but all of it is in plastic bottles. So. These days. And that's the great problem. Some of the plastic bottles are going to be better. Some of them are going to be worse for us. It especially depends on how the plastic and the water, whether it gets heated or not. So one of the problems is we're in Australia. So, of course, the environment likes to really heat. And that causes leaching of things like phthalates and BPA, BPB, BPC, etc. So everyone kind of jumped on the bandwagon and said BPA equals bad, right? It's yep. a, a chemical in yep. the plastic that keep it they kind of flexible. They also BPA-free yeah. these days. Yep. But they didn't mention that there's BPB and BPC and etc. And there's a bunch of other chemicals in there because... If you don't make the plastic flexible, it becomes very brittle and it breaks very quickly. And you need those BP. Unfortunately, and yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> yep. So again, there are great filters. Like I use one called Zazen and it's got a glass container and it filters and it remineralizes. And my house has an inlined grander harmonizer. So I change the molecular structure of all the water coming into my house. And we have carbon filters to get rid of extra chlorine. Now, I do this because I already know that the water's coming in hasn't got any E. coli. Like they've already added things and filtered it at the municipality. I just don't want it continuing into my body. I don't need that stuff. So you know there's no there's no pathogen. No pathogen. So but you're trying to get rid of the the stuff chemicals. that got rid of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's a hard place to be because what we'd really like is a lime kind of stone filtered, beautiful Bergamo. That's where San Pellegrino water comes from. Like there's all these wonderful water supplies all over the place and most of us don't live anywhere near it. So yeah. at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing is to just drink water and try not to get overly tinfoil hat. As long yeah, as you're drinking yeah. water... That's still better than the alternate, which is drinking, you know, soda or fruit juice. Yeah, and oh, fruit juice is diabolical. Alcohol. What do you think of alcohol? Well, I don't drink, and it's not that I would say I'm never going to drink, and that alcohol's the worst thing in the world. But alcohol is a solvent, and it dissolves fats, and your brain is made of very specialized fats, and so 
The answer to it is, is that everything is a tool. And for me, it's a choice that that tool wasn't doing me a lot of good. And so I just mm. chose not to drink five years ago and I stopped. So, you know, other people may is be- Is it bad for you? I think so. I think it's very harmful to brains. Just, I have Just the brains? What about the well, gut, gut lion? Uh, it, it damages anything because it's a solvent that has a lipid bilayer membrane, which is every cell in your body. Jeez, okay. Okay, yep. so it absorbs very effectively in the gut. It is a toxin that the body cannot store. So you have to process it and store any other energy food yep. that you ate at the same time. It's non-energy giving. It is only heat giving. So you drink a couple of pints with dinner last night. You have to process all the alcohol out of that and store all of the energy. And that processing through your mitochondria does not provide you with any muscle movement energy the next day. So you are actually slowing yourself down and making yourself more fatigued and more prone to damage from drinking alcohol. Okay. okay? That's the truth of it. How everyone chooses to make that determination and what's good for them and what's not. And people say in moderation and that's their choice. I'm not gonna judge them for doing whatever they wanna do. But for me, considering I spend most of my time telling people how to make their brains work better, the simple fact, you know that slightly tipsy sensation you get after a couple of glasses? Yeah. That's literally your cerebellar cells screaming at you as they implode. I kid you not. Okay. Okay, so... It's that, not good for you. No, it's period. not great. Not okay. great. It wouldn't so be it's my a trade, It's a compromise you're it's making compromise. every time. And you can do it consciously. Correct. And the main thing is that you know you're making that conscious decision. And if, you want, if you choose to make if it. If you choose to. I have no judgment. Yeah. It's repetition and then kind of denying, no, it's not the alcohol. Well, if we run scans, we can actually see people's brain shrinking from it. There is alcohol-induced shrinking of the brain and the cerebellum, and it's associated with very specific symptoms. It wipes out B-group vitamins, including B1. We get So it makes you dumb. Well, I think so. <laughs> now, other people would disagree, and again, that's well, their choice. Jim Quick, you know, he likes his alliteration. He said, <laughs> alcohol makes you slow, sick, and stupid. Mm, mm. I like that. that. That's that's very true. <laughs> Slow, sick, and stupid. That's yeah. what I noticed for me, and it's it's part and parcel. Yeah. I call myself a functional alcoholic. Okay. Um, when I chose to stop drinking, there was this little voice in my head at like six o'clock. Oh, you'd like a glass of wine. It took three weeks to shut that voice up. I didn't give in to it. Yeah. But it was there, and so I'm looking at that, going, well, if my brain's trying to sabotage me, that means that's a behaviour outside of my normal control. Yeah. right that wasn't my that was cognitive cue. brain that was a reflexogenic or it was my bacteria yeah. yeah that's not not good so i've done this several times i've stopped drinking in the past and had that same response yep. and then went back to drinking not in any great excess but like after my father died there was a situation at the funeral and the family get-togethers where i was making uh, a spectacle of myself not joining in the festivities so to speak so I chose to have alcohol at that moment so that I wasn't derailing the moment and making it all about me yes yes and yep. we've all been there yeah yep when I drank for a week at that moment not as I said anything excessively but stopping again that little voice came back it's very very powerful strong I, voice I, yeah. it was <laughs> yes. and, and that bothered me yeah. And so I've literally not had any alcohol in five years now. And I don't miss it and I don't hear that voice again. But I'm also aware that it might still be there. So I choose on a daily basis to reaffirm that today is not a day I'm interested. 
So what are the long-term effects of alcohol as a food? I mean, that's why we're talking about sustenance. Yeah, yeah. Right? It doesn't sustain us. It, it does not sustain us. It will damage your liver and cause oxidative stress in it. It will raise cholesterol. It will predispose you to diabetes. It will predispose you to damage in the arteries and the heart and cause cholesterol kind of sticking to things. But if you then look at the French paradox, I'll say that the wine is great. But I suspect that's because of the resveratrol in the wine because of how it's grown and the conditions it's grown in. And so it has a positive effect at the same time as a negative effect, as long as it's kept in ultimate moderation. I do dispute the French paradox. It is an old study. Yeah, very. Very old study. And there was lots of other factors at play. I agree. And I also witnessed my first visit to France many years ago. They actually don't drink that much. And that's the moderation. <laughs> that's the point. You know, they drink maybe half a glass to a one glass tops. That was my experience with everyone. And they sip it. I think yeah. if we went and did the same thing again now, because back when that study was done, people were eating much more market, yes. close to home, fresh from their local. Eating less. Yeah. And now those things have gone to supermarché, the big supermarkets like we have here. It's mm. not as fresh. It's not as close. It's industrial farmed. Yeah. It's yeah. not their same traditional. Now, that's not for everyone, obviously. Yes. But a lot of the food is, is in the same way that we're consuming it now. Yep. Much more industrial, much more supplied by big companies, much more preserved, much more plastic packaging, much more all of the things that I don't really want. Uh, I love that a few years ago it came out with the carbon footprint concept where we want to eat within 100 miles of home if possible. Yes, yes. Well, just think what we'd get. That's the problem. Because <laughs> yeah, there's so much pollution <laughs> well, close to home. <laughs> what are you going to get from around here? Um, but the, the problem is, like here in Australia, I've got patients up around Tully that are tomato farmers. And they're tomatoes for you know, the big supermarkets. Their packing shed packs it. And then it gets driven all the way to Melbourne to the distribution center and then from melbourne gets sent out to the rest of the country including sending those tomatoes back to tully it's ridiculous isn't that isn't that yeah. cool <laughs> that is such a waste yeah. but that means that the food has to be picked early yes and that means it's not ripe and so when you see those vine ripened tomatoes all they've done is they've cut them early and then they provide gas to it i think it's nitrogen or something like that that actually stimulates the redness they're not actually ripe they're just the right color yeah okay yep. now if it's not vine ripened in the sun what it means is that it doesn't have all the nutrients and it hasn't processed out all the anti-nutrients the phytates the lectins so a lot of the problem right. that we have with these poisons in the food so to speak and what when i say that i mean the stuff growing into it not added by mankind is due to the degree of early picking because it's not ripe and it's allowed to color and ripen after the fact. Yeah, look, a lot of this is outside our control and I don't want people who are listening now to think, well, all is lost. It's not, you know? <laughs> it's not. What it, it comes down to though is if you're aware, you will start making choices to buy from the market gardener on the corner or from the organic biodynamic food supplier. There's not that many of them around. But if we all make a difference and a conscious thought of, mm. I'm going to start looking for one and we start changing. Those big companies want to sell you food. So if you start taking half of your budget to send to smaller 
places, they will change their food supply. They always do. They have no bones about, oh, people are wanting to buy biodynamic food that's actually riper from, they will change. Yeah, look, that I want to include also green grocers. Yeah, absolutely. Not just farmer's markets. No, 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 I'm sort of putting it in a... Like, I, I live in Terry Hills in Sydney, and I visit sometimes eastern suburbs, and there are two grocery stores there, Forest Way Fresh and Parisi's, respectively. Now... They source their stuff directly from the farms, and there isn't that, you know, Coles, Woolies sort of mass marketed stuff. So, I think there are plenty of options yes. out there. I mean, a lot of it is not organic, but I think it's just to manage step in what the right you direction. Can. Yeah, Absolutely. Head in the right direction. I try and eat organic, and a lot of people might, but sometimes it's just not available, and you just got to control the controllables. Yes. But the main message is I think know what's good for your biome because yes. that controls a lot of your health. They, they interplay yeah. with your DNA. Yep. So, we talked about vegetables, yes. and we talked about food intolerances like gluten and and dairy i want to talk about proteins the uh, importance of vitamin b12 i want to talk about fruit as well like i recently went on a ketogenic diet to reduce inflammation in my system and just to see what it what it does to my it did make me sharper actually my (laughs) brain was a lot sharper on ketogenic but i eliminated almost all fruit apart from a few berries yes so is fruit good bad or it's a difficult statement i next to no fruit almost none is it because the fruit is so hybridized these days? or is it? Oh, it is. Yeah. But no, I just naturally gravitate away from fruit. I'll eat uh, some berries and I'll eat occasionally pears. But I try and eat these things in season because we are okay. not designed to eat the same thing over and over and over again. Well, that's a good rule. Yeah. Eat in season. Eat in season. What variety. About, what about, say, apple? Well... Again, what season is an apple meant to be in? Exactly. Okay, winter. so winter fruit. Winter yep. fruit, yeah. So we can get apples at the moment, can't we? <laughs> not meant to. <laughs> no, not at all. So again, it's not a bad fruit. Like, there's no bad. But do you really need the volume of fructose? And the only organ in your body that processes fructose effectively is your liver. liver. Yeah. So you're also getting fructose from sucrose and sucrose is in lots and lots of foods so there's an upper limit to how much fructose your liver can function with so how much fruit should we be eating a day i'm guessing the higher the fructose amount in a fruit the less of the it less you want you yeah. need. and that's one of the reasons why i recommend berries, berries yeah. because yeah. pound for pound very low amounts of fruct mm. you just cannot consume that much so mm. I say fruits for things like avocado. Yeah, tomatoes are yeah. fruit as well. Uh, and I, I actually, tomatoes and me aren't that happy a friend. The nightshade family yeah. and me, not that good. Well, let's talk about nightshades. Okay. There's eggplant, yep. tomato. Potato. Potato. Potato's the most classic for Capsicum. us all. Capsicum. Yep. And there's one more I'm trying to think of. but uh... Tobacco. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay, yeah. but I stay away from nightshades family. So yes. Capsicum, potato. I keep potato a little bit. Yes. <laughs> to my guilty pleasure. <laughs> so should everyone stay away from nightshades? No, not at all. How do you know that you're allergic to nightshades? So this is where we do these, these food intolerance testing. Okay. And again, there's also a histaminergic pattern that we'll see with people. And there are certain signs and symptoms that, well, I had bolognese last night and then I've had diarrhea or I came out with a rash. We'd start looking... Or a dry cough. Or a dry cough, absolutely. We'd look yep. for, okay, well, is it the tomato? Is it the... And you'd 
kind of track down. Is it avocado? Correct. Uh, avocado is a high histamine yep. food. Yep, yep. Absolutely. So certain foods have certain chemical properties regardless of whether they're from the nightshade family or not from the nightshade family. But in the grand scheme of allergies, there are several foods that are classic allergies. Soy is the most allergenic in the Western world now. Gone. Gone. Yep. Gluten, wheat, so yep. to speak. Dairy products, the casein specifically versus the whey. Eggs. Eggs. Fish, eggs. eggs. Eggs are a very strong allergen. Is that right? Yeah. Eggs. Jeez, I eat a lot of eggs peanuts. thinking it's high. Well, they're, they're very good foods. Yeah. So eggs have become a very strong allergen. And we can get really controversial if you really want about why that probably is. I, I have chickens that okay. grow, that, that lay our eggs. So <laughs> that, That's not the issue. Yep. So again, probably in the last 40 years, in my lifetime, we've had an increase in the vaccination schedule for kids, right? Yep. And some of the vaccines have emulsified peanut oil in it, and some of the vaccines have uh, chicken egg albumin in them as that's part right. of the yep. process of manufacturing yeah, them, I've heard right? that, yep. So that's fine. That's not actually a problem. But peanut oil in itself has these chemicals that are highly irritating and can cause cross-collateral reactions, right? So you're putting it in underneath the skin in a young person before they have eaten these things, right? So the body is having this good immune response. So I'm not saying vaccines are bad, just as a point. All I'm suggesting is that you've got this viral load going in with some other guys that are around. And when the immune system comes and sees the virus, they also see these guys that are hanging around and goes, hey, you shouldn't be here, and punches them in the face. Albumin. Albumin. And so that is one of the proposed potential reasons that we're seeing this increase in egg allergy and peanut allergy. When I went to school, no one had a peanut allergy. That's right. At all. So something has to have changed that. Now, again, that doesn't mean vaccine's bad. That just means maybe we need a different method. So one of the things that they're doing now is they're recommending that kids have peanut butter at like three months of age before... Before the vaccine, yeah. Correct. So that their gut IgA response has gone, hey, you're a food. You're not a bad guy. I don't need... So you're predisposing the kid to not having the response. An antibody response, yep. Towards food. One of the other possibilities is we could delay the introduction of some of those vaccines till like one or two years of age. Now, again, I'm just raising a different possibility. Yes. Because if we allowed them to have more normal digestive kind of happenings before we put the potential... Fair comment, yeah. It's a possibility. Maybe we need to change how we make the vaccine and do it a slightly different way. I'm not suggesting what is good or what's not. But I think there's a definite correlation between how that increase in potential exposure before the child has developed a fully normal immune system, and that needs looking at. Because some of those anaphylactic allergies make people's lives absolutely miserable. You know, but what if? But what if this person has got some peanut on their finger and they touch my food at the cafe? You know, for some people, that is enough. And there's a growing number of those people. Absolutely. So I just think we need to be looking a bit more big picture. And as I said, it's a controversial topic. People don't like kind of the holy grail of our health system being bad. It's not. It's just maybe we need to look at doing something slightly different or better or using better technology to get a better response. Yes. 
Yeah. Yep. And I'd like those kids not to have an allergy response and not to have the risk of if someone brings unthought about peanut butter sandwiches, I'm going to die in my grade five classroom. Yep. Yep. So scary. <laughs> it is. So I think the big message coming out of this episode on sustenance is getting to know your genotypes. So yep. do your DNA tests. Absolutely. Food tolerance tests. I think they're absolutely imperative. I should probably... Any other tests? Biome? Biome I, I think the biome test is an excellent one. So they're the three. Those are the three. I would also mm. like to see some basic blood tests. I love basic blood tests. So the gold standard here in Australia and in most parts of the world or the Western world, we can look at and get data. So we run the blood test for things like your full blood count and the red cells and white cells all depend yep. on certain nutrients to be there to make these things work. We can look at your serum zinc and your serum copper and your B12 and your folate levels. And what this tells us, apart from what's in the pipe, is did you absorb it? Is there enough in your diet? Okay, are you wasting it? And yeah. so what we can do is these comparative tests. So we can go, right, do you have a gene that says you don't absorb iron well? What's the iron level? Let's check the blood test. Yeah, yep. yeah. I so yep. I think that's a really good way. Once is this the way of the future? Because I heard one of the Americans, I forget which, who are so far ahead of us when it comes to health, on yes. one of the podcasts, it could have been, look, it could have been Dave Asprey. Yes. But... They're saying that where the medical profession is now is the dark ages of get sick, go to the doctor, they do a test. By the time they do it and check it, yes, like a lot has happened, right? <laughs> it's, it's too late. Now it's all about tracking data in yeah. real time and being in control. So there's and some everyone problems. should get their uh, DNA sick. You know, I think so. I think everyone should be doing this early on. But see, the ultra conspiracy theorists will say, yes, but you're giving your data away to other people. And is that a good thing for you or is it not a good thing for yeah. you? Because it can get into the hands of the wrong people like insurance companies. And they'd really like to get that sort of data. They'd really on. like to know what your genetic yeah, weaknesses absolutely. are. Absolutely. So and they then say, they... no more insurance for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I really yeah. like the idea of things like real-time glucose, glucose monitoring, monitoring et cetera. Yep. I think this is the right way to be going. Yeah. And especially when we are so urbanized and we're living in industrial environments that are disconnected to our natural environment. We're not earthing, we're not walking with bare feet on the grass or on the sand in the same way. Static electricity and electrosmog actually makes a really negative impact on things like blood sugar levels. Yes. Yeah. So, I, and I love the glucose monitoring stuff because I've, I've signed up to a company called Levels. Mm -hmm. So if anyone listening now, just check it out, levels.com. They've come up with a device that is permanently on the back of your triceps. Yes. And every time you eat something, you look at your phone and it tells you what impact that's had on your insulin. Because insulin is the evil, <laughs> well, well <laughs> it's painted as the evil it um, hormone that ages us and... Yeah, it does so, all sorts of damage to our system. You have to think about it from a slightly different perspective. So blood sugar is maintained in a range by a committee, right? So the tongue senses sweet. It doesn't sense sugar. Okay, so that's your first misnomer in the whole thing about how the medical system oh, looks wow. at stuff. So stevia? Stevia, your brain thinks that's sugar. Monk fruit? Monk fruit, your brain thinks it's sugar. Even, but they say it doesn't have an insulin response. So what? Yep. <laughs> so 
diabetes is not just the insulin response. It's how your brain prepares for things. So if it senses it as yeah. sweet and intensely sweet, then it will start preparing your system for these things. Okay. Okay? Yep. So it's one of the reasons why I don't recommend a lot of fruit or a lot of sugar for any sorts of reason. Yeah. Yeah. Even though all humans, we're all addicted to this stuff because of its traditional survival basis. Yes. So you hunt for sugar or carbs or fats when under stress. And electromagnetic fields will put you under stress without you having to do anything. And that makes you crave sugar. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so the tongue yeah. is the first step in that process. Yeah. Stress, cortisol, pushes your blood sugar up. So maladaptive breathing, as we'll get to, will cause your blood sugar to go up, yeah. regardless of whether you ate anything or didn't eat anything. That's gluconeogenesis. Then the body has to respond with insulin to push it back down again, and then it stores it because we couldn't waste it. So it's not just the insulin, it's the cortisol response, the insulin, and the blood sugar because it's the committee. How did your body manage that? So you only trip over into diabetes when your body's ability to manage that consortium fails. Yep, okay. So is that why the ketogenic diet is so popular at the moment? I think so. I think because, because it eliminates a lot of that problem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the brain can be adapted and the body can be adapted to fat. Is ketogenic okay for everyone? Is it good for everyone? I doubt it. <laughs> Again, like, I've lost a lot of weight on yeah. the ketogenic diet and so, it's not good to lose too much weight. No, it's not. The simplest thing is we go back to our concept of epitopes and continuums. And everyone will do okay on a ketogenic diet for a period of time. Some people longer, some people shorter, depending on your phenotypes and how your body enjoys fats, whether it's going to put that fat straight into storage or whether it will burn it, yep. how your stress response is. There's no one thing that works for everyone all the time. So yep. I like the ketogenic diet and I use it apart from anything else as a shock and awe scenario. We put someone on it to wake their system up and adapt them in a different way and take them away from inappropriate sugar insulin adaptation because sugar and the insulin response and the cortisol response has a component that will always drive interleukin-6 and inflammation and oxidative stress. You don't get quite the same response from a ketogenic diet. So we can help decrease inflammation in someone's system by fat adapting them. Yep, yep. So getting them to burn fat rather than sugar. Correct. Reduces inflammation. Yep. Beautiful. Yes. So I would recommend it to most people, but again, you know, it's under supervision, it's a short-term thing for most. Yep. And you'd use it as a tool. And then what you have to find is where your happy medium is. Because some might be right over here in a really like 70% fat adapted diet. And some of them might be much, much further in the other direction. There's no one thing for anyone. So my DNA test showed that I should be eating 55% of my calories from carbs. Yes. Which flies contrary to the ketogenic diet. It did, but it didn't all at the same time. And what it said is that from your epsilon type for heart disease, mm -hmm. you need 55% of those calories from carbs. But the problem is we all think about carbs as the industrial agriculture wants you to believe, which carbs equals bread and pasta and sugars, etc., which is not the case. That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is cilantro and cabbage and broccoli and collie and a little bit of grains, a little bit. Just a little bit of rice. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. So again, those carbs 
are very hard and slow to digest and some of them are starchy like a potato or a sweet potato etc or yams but it's not the immediate early response because again your brain goes carbs sugar i want that because i survived with that and i've got stress yep, right yep. but your body is like yeah that was great i'll have some more because i'm addicted to it but in the background there's other cells going no 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 stop that's too much it's going to damage me so vegetable carbs yeah yeah absolutely fine. slow burning slow burning Full of fiber. Micronutrient dense. Yep. Full of fiber. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So my DNA test also showed that I should have 20% protein, which is quite low under the protein scale. So on the topic of protein then, okay, most people feel the urge that with every meal, I have to have a protein. Yes. Salad with fish, salad with chicken, salad, whatever, you know, Thai beef salad, right? Whatever it is. Sounds yum. Yep. (laughs) Do we need to drip feed the body throughout the day with a certain number of grams of protein? And how much is too much protein? Because protein is a bit like calcium, right? You can't have too much of it. Your body can only deal with so much at a time, right? What are the best protein sources, if there is any? Because you're going to go back to the genotype and say, well, it depends on your genes, right? And so we're always going to come back to everyone's got to get their DNA yep. tested, their biome, food tolerance, yes. and a general blood test yep. to really know what's going Correct. on. Then they've got the blueprint for life. Yes. Especially from the genes. Yes. And then we do monitoring tests. So you wouldn't do the gene test again. Yep. You would do an oat test to check on things and the blood test to check what on things. What is the oat test? So OAT, yeah? OAT. Organic acids. So the organic acids are output byproducts of your metabolic machinery. So if everything's in balance, your pee will have a certain amount of things in it, plus or minus some percentage of variance. So what we're looking to see is you have a very low level of most of them because everything's in the right range. When you don't have enough of, say, B12 going in, your output of a chemical called methylmalonic acid will be very high. So it's a toxic byproduct that's really bad for brains. Yep. Right. So when we measure that, we then go, right, that's way too high. We need to give you more B12. Yep. So an oat test is a test I use along with the blood test as a monitoring tool for someone who's had their DNA done. Because your DNA is not going to change, regardless of the fact that we say it's epigenetically controllable. The gene is still the gene. Right. Yep. Once you've done it. Once you've done it, we know what that is. What we're trying to do is either turn them on or turn them off or turn them on and off as appropriate, depending on your series of stress at any one moment in time. Yep. We might look at hormone tests. We might look at, there's a great one called a Dutch test. And that can Ah, be useful. I've heard of that. Especially as we get a little bit more mature, because unfortunately for us, our hormone levels step down. And that has some consequences to how we age and how our brain is working as well. So all of those are really useful. But to go back to protein, the simple answer in the oat test is it'll tell you what amino acids you might be missing. So that will derive some of the basis of which proteins I would be recommending. Are they higher in in these amino acids? Are they higher in that series of Mm -hmm. amino acids? But as a general rule, probably the best most easily consumed and useful protein is egg. 
okay. whether it's a duck egg or a chicken egg or otherwise, it's a complete protein. So it's got all of the amino acids that we require. It's easily consumable. It has about the right pure grammage depending yep. on the size of it. It's readily available. Providing you're not allergic to it. Correct. How do you know if you're allergic to egg? Do you break out of hives? Do you get... Some people will. Some will swell up. It depends on whether it's an intolerance allergy or a IgE immune where you might get asthma type symptoms yep but itchiness is a really common one urticaria so people they're just scratching for no good reason yep yeah i I get like a dry cough when i have uh avocado my son matthew does as well so i'd say that one's probably not good (laughs) okay so let's talk red meat then yep you you have people like joe rogan who's a carnivore yeah and swears by it and i know some people who swear by a carnivore diet as well and they are strong healthy so what's going on there well every diet will probably give you one to two years of grace okay okay doesn't matter which one it is because you've got nutrient stores and then when you run out of stuff now remember what i said at the beginning you eat protein for you okay so all those carnivores who are not taking in fibrous vegetables will be affecting their biome. Okay, when you say for you, what does it give you? Okay, so again, if you think about animal proteins, Mm. depending on what ones, you're going to be getting amino acids, you're going to be getting minerals, you are going to be getting certain vitamins, you're going to be getting the things, apart from water, that you will require to repair most of your tissue. Okay, so most of our tissue, all of this stuff, this is all protein. Protein. Your hairs are made of protein. Your nails I are... I clearly need more protein. Me too. <laughs> Actually, this is more about blood supply. Okay. And, we'll and talk about that. Yeah. So yep. your enzymes that do everything are made from protein. So we need more protein than everyone is, is being told. The number one nutrient deficiency I see most consistently in people's uh, blood tests is protein malnourishment and supposedly in these western environments that's considered odd oh we've got plenty of nourishment plenty of protein so frank protein malnourishment things like kwashiorkor and marasmus are not considered normal but they happen and they're happening especially more that we are being told that you should be going vegan to save the planet and a whole lot of other stuff that I disagree with. We are an ecosystem. Is industrial farming good for our planet? God, no. No, it absolutely needs to be changed. How we make our food needs to be changed. But getting rid of one of the most nutrient-dense available food supplies that we have evolved with along many, many thousands, millions of years is a terrible idea, especially when you consider that there are things like zero B12 in the vegetable kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And you cannot right. survive. You go mad if you get too low on B12. Yeah. So we need red meat. We yes. need fish. Yeah, we do. We need Absolutely. Chicken. What is your preferred protein source for? I know it goes back to the gene expression yeah. of individuals, but generally speaking, with the number of people that you see, what do they mostly do well on chicken, fish? Chicken uh, and fish uh, and eggs. Red meat, again, contains a high level of iron, and that works really well for some people, especially if they're malnourished with iron and they've got poor absorption of it. But excess iron will cause oxidative stress. And I put it in the idea of they're like chainsaws. 
Chainsaws are a really useful yeah. tool, mm. but you put it away once it's finished because if it kind of gets into the wrong hands, bad things occur. Yeah. So we don't want excess iron floating around and there's a sweet spot for where you want it to be. And so red meat is awesome, but too much could be a problem for certain people and we don't know that until we yeah. start measuring. Yeah, I look, I tend to have it once a week yep. as we did last night. We yes. had incredible... Oh. Fantastic meal. Slow cooked beef cheeks. That was awesome. And we're going to have it later for lunch. So we've we've covered the protein, we've covered the vegetables, the fruits, we've yes. covered the food intolerances, but it all comes back to know thyself. Sure does. Get the right testing. If you want to take control of your sustenance, which is an important S, isn't it? Out yes, of it the is. seven S's, it's the fuel for our body. We need to get that fuel right. If you don't put building blocks in, yeah your brain will still try to make the best out of it because your brain does that at every step. But if it starts having a loss of a certain nutrient, that could be a rate limiting step, it will rob Peter to pay Paul and it will cause sustained decompensation. You will go down to your lowest yep. level or rather your highest level of dysfunction given the resources you have available. Okay. So. What the body will do, it will always hierarchically determine what thing will kill me quickest. What thing do I have to do the yeah. job of? If my heart stops, I'm dead. If I don't breathe, I'm dead. So the most important systems get the most resource. Yes. And then if you don't have enough of something, it gets less resource up until something gets none. And then we go, yeah, but I'm fine. I just got that little that tinea, that skin rash. And we pay it very little attention. We say, I, it's just a thing. I'll take a cream for it. I'll have this, you know. And we don't go, oh, actually, that's a signal to say that your your scales are out of balance and that your body is decompensated. Yep, yep. And all of these things, that's all it is. You're trying to get yourself into balance again Yes. from diet, from lifestyle, from nourishment. And sustenance is massively important, but it still flows in the other things we're talking about. If we have our stress out of balance... We're going to talk about all yeah. those other seven S's. But lastly, before we wrap up sustenance, so, I mean, not everyone can fly up to Brisbane and see you personally. Well, having said that, I've been seeing you online as well. We've done a lot of stuff online. But if someone's thinking, okay, I want to work with a health practitioner, yes. how do they know they're working with the right one? Like, what questions do they ask? Because I'm getting to a stage now, like, I can't tell my doctor what I want. My doctor's clueless, right? <laughs> My doctor says, okay, what test do you want me to do today, right? And this was before I met yourself yep. because not all doctors practice holistically like you do. So what should people be looking for now? I mean, we've created a lot of questions as well as a lot of clarity, Sure. right? We haven't even talked about fat because I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like is it olive oil or not? Yep. But I think people know fat is an incidental thing that we eat. Fat so, is phenomenally important. Every cell in your body yep. has a lipid bilayer. Yes, Saturated fat and cholesterol are phenomenally important but for your you health and fat, well-being. You get fat when you eat meat yes. or eggs yes. or chicken or fish. Absolutely. You get fat when you drizzle olive oil or salads, right? Those yeah. are the good ones. Yes. Outside that, most of the seed oils, which is what we're getting in our industrial yeah. food, very, very bad. When interviewing a practitioner, yes. I think the first thing you should do is you should use your eyes. Are they a four foot two, six foot wide fatty? Yeah. And, and people say, oh, that's a terrible way of thinking. I want you to think, do they represent what they're selling you? Because again, all those practitioners are salesmen. Yes. Okay. And that's the bluntest truth about it. 
are they practicing what they preach? Do they look healthy? That's the first kind of concept to think yeah. about. Like one of my favorite practitioners who is one of the godfathers of Australian integrative medicine, he's a professor of it, and he smoked. And it absolutely God smacked me. It's like, how does that compute? Yes. And, you know, everyone's got a choice. Everyone's got their, their own application of the rules and smoking can be considered like if we think about COVID, one of the first papers that came out is that smokers actually had a lower risk of COVID than non-smokers. And we all went fascinating. How in the, why? Well, the suggestion is, is that the hormetic stress of the smoke damaging the cells in the lungs actually created more glutathione production and the glutathione actually quenched all the oxidative stress that the virus had and they didn't get the problem. Yep, which explains why a lot of health, the healthiest gym junkies were getting the most sick, weren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. So looking at them and actually seeing if they're, they're practicing, but you actually need to ask them, so what is your idea? What's your concept of health? Why? What's the big picture for you? So when I talk to patients, one of the things that I talk to them about and I ask them, where do you see yourself at 80? And then they say, not dead or some trite sort of response. And I say, that's not good enough. Where I see you and where I want you to be at 80 is I want you to be disgraceful. I want you to be able to go table dancing drunk off your ass and out of Mongolia, okay? <laughs> I want you to be able to climb Mount Kilimanjaro yeah. or run the Boston Marathon or go diving with sharks or, you know, something big picture yeah. because you can, because you're so well integrated that your mind and your body and your soul actually work and they have energy and they have vitality and you resonate health, not I'm alive. Beautiful. I'm alive is not enough. We want vibrancy. And so if, if your practitioner comes up with an answer like, what's the big picture? Well, I want to keep you alive. You know, maybe that's not the person for you. Yes. Like when we think about blood tests, all the blood tests have a sweet spot. Okay. Hmm. It's the optimal. Now, if we think about a car, for instance, the car has a petrol tank and it's got kind of a normal range of empty to full, right? So if you're an eighth of a tank of gas, which is within the normal range, but you have to drive to Darwin, you might not do so well, but you're in the normal range. Yep. So yeah. what's the sweet spot for a tank of gas with that trip? Full, right? Yep. If you just need to drive around the corner to the greengrocers, an eighth of a tank of gas is probably fine, right? Exactly. So it, it's, yep. it's knowing what the sweet spot is, considering everything. And so, again, with heavy metal toxicity, for instance, we've kind of taken this idea that none is acceptable. Yes. But my viewpoint's changed in the last 20 years. It's, well, is it really causing you any bother? Yes, no. Not, oh, you've got to get that right down and you've got to get tinfoil hat crazy about yes. getting it. Is it actually a bother? Should we be focusing on making the rest of you more great so it keeps the balance of everything right? And so I think when you're looking for a practitioner and you're kind of interviewing, and yeah. it's like dating. And they have to learn your foibles and you have to learn theirs. Yes. And I'm an acquired taste. I'm probably not for everyone, right? <laughs> and I'm very yeah. passionate and I want people who are committed. Yeah. So if, if you're wanting to join and get your health right, this is a journey. It's not like, oh, well, I did that test and that test and I'm done. We're going to walk the path and make sure you're at the best level. And so for me, I think that's important. Other practitioners might not. And the way the medical model kind of works is that because there's an external payer, they don't really suffer for, for 
a lack of patience. Exactly. So they don't have the same kind of commitment to walk that path with you because if you don't like them, another one's going to turn up as the next bus in five minutes, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's it. It goes back then to someone who wants to, as you said right at the outset, help you become the best version of yourself based on genetically what you were given at birth. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. So, Scott, (laughs) this is our first S. We've covered sustenance. Yes. On that note, we're going to wrap up this week's podcast. And everyone listening, stay tuned for next week's episode where we're going to cover topic of starvation which is kind of related to this what everyone's talking about is fasting but our ancestors knew it as starvation is it okay to starve every now and then how do we do it and stay tuned next week where we return with uh, dr scott to talk about the second s thank you for listening this week's episode of a higher branch and as always live consciously my friends thank you